Oh, hi. Hey. Hello. This is Ann Althaus, your podcaster, your blogger. And it's the morning after the big election, the continuing rambling, rolling along election that I don't know when it will ever end. I wanted a sharp, clear answer this morning. I didn't take sides. I treated the two candidates like two sons who I wouldn't say one was my favorite or the other. I abstained. I remained aloof. I stayed up as late as I could until I decided, well, I don't want to just keep looking at John King touching Pennsylvania over and over again. They're obviously not calling the states that they think they'd have to call for Trump. They were calling them and calling them while they had ones for Biden, and then they waited till they got California, got the, and Washington and Oregon, and got the Biden number up pretty high, and then they, uh, they kind of just stopped. And they wouldn't say anything else, no matter how far along Texas and Florida were. They wouldn't uh, call them for Trump. It seemed obvious from, to me that they wanted to keep the Biden number bigger than the Trump number. And the whole thing ground to a halt. So I decided I'd just go to sleep, slept a while, woke up, looked at it. I was right. It was still stalled in exactly the same way. Did some more sleeping, woke up again. Same kind of problem. Um, I think uh, just for my own... Uh, peace of mind for my mental health. Not that I think I would go crazy, but I'm trying to help everyone else not go crazy, but just so that I can feel like a normal person with ordinary control over my life, I am keeping uh, away from the television because, you know, they're just going to talk and talk and say things that you could look online and see instantly, but they're, they're just dragging you through it and it's going to go on for days it's going to go on for weeks you got to find some island of peace for yourself one island of peace is the blog when you're on a blog you can pick the things you want to talk about and the funny thing was that after that ordeal overnight the thing I decided to blog first was something that was written the day before election day and I said I'm collecting old headlines like Biden will win. Republicans should understand why. You know, I thought the titles like that take on a a new meaning in light of what happened. And I'm not even quite sure what happened. I think when I wrote that, I was fairly sure Trump was on track to win. I don't really know right now, but certainly Biden didn't just obviously win like people were assuming before Election Day. What was that all about? Uh, So anyway... This is a column by Bill Schur that was published at Real Clear Politics the day before Election Day. Biden will win. Republicans should understand why. And I said, in the light of the morning after Election Day, let's see how this reads now. Quote, Joe Biden is going to win. I've been wrong before. I will be wrong again. And maybe I'm wrong today. At least he admits all that. But we do not have any significant data to suggest Donald Trump was ever in a position to win re-election. Come on, that's just ridiculous. Certainly before COVID hit, if COVID hadn't hit, wasn't he on track? Wouldn't he have won? He seems to have won despite all that COVID, which is very strange. Uh, Back to sure. We do not have any significant data to suggest Donald Trump was ever in a position to win re-election or that he is closing the campaign with any sort of momentum needed for a come-from-behind victory, close quote. And I said, 
we were patronizingly informed that we need to understand this news from the future. How biased was the information we were fed, the polls, the elite media? We knew they were biased, but they seemed to have been far more biased this time around. Quote, four years ago, we did have such an idea. In the Real Clear Politics national polling average, Hillary Clinton's lead shrunk nearly six percentage points between October 18th and November 3rd, before ticking up a bit at the end. And I said, were the polls more wrong this time? With so much pressure to get it right after failing last time, the polls were even more wrong, and the commentators leaned into lecturing us about how Trump is toast, rejected forever by a new America that wasn't going to stomach that nasty Trumpism anymore. Quote, Biden's lead has been and is strong, sturdy, and stable. His, back, his battleground state advantages are smaller than his national margin, but there are still leads in most states, and Trump is not aggressively closing the gaps. Without forward movement, he can't get to 270 electoral votes. Now, what is the point of making so certain a prediction? Why not allow for the possibility that the polling industry has collectively missed the mark? Why not just wait and see what happens? Because we all should understand that Trump's defeat has been long in the making and was starkly visible to the naked eye for months, close quote. And I said, starkly visible to the naked eye for months. Quote, do not embrace any spin that he could have won. If only the pandemic didn't spike last week. If only he'd stayed on message in the last week. If only his campaign spent its war chest more wisely. If only there was more coverage of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Or if only there was more coverage of the third quarter GDP number. I fully expect these excuses. And then some, though I expect the claim that Trump would have won if not for the pandemic to be repeated most of all, close quote. Oh, there will be excuses, but not the kind of excuses Bill Schur was fully expecting. Republicans should accept that Trump lost this race long ago because he did not take governing seriously and because he tried to divide a nation that, in its heart, does not want to be divided, close quote. And I said, yeah, accept it, Republicans. With the tables turned, will Democrats and never-Trumpers accept it? No, the standards of when you must accept electoral outcomes will be completely different if Trump has won. Quote, in turn, for the GOP to remove the stain of Trump from its reputation, Republicans will have to show their seriousness of purpose by working with President Biden on good faith compromises and by rejecting the corrosive politics of polarization. And I said, We'll see if Democrats set aside their refusal to respect what looks like a second victory for Trump, and if they will make good faith compromises and reject the corrosive politics of polarization. Do they have to show their seriousness of purpose, or will the advice from pundits like Schur be completely different because the Democrats didn't take over? Oh. I felt a little uh, exercised reading that. Um, I'm just so mad about the double standard and the dishonesty and the uh, 
uh, pretentious uh, lecturing that goes on, and it goes one way, and they can do it over and over again, apply a standard to their opponent that they would never apply to themselves. Not saying Republicans don't do the same, but it is just so exaggerated coming from Democrats and aimed at Republicans. And it's not just limited to Trump. You can look back at how they treated George W. Bush. It's the same darn thing. So let's see, what do I have now? Um, oh, next. I don't have that many posts this morning because I got up and left. I felt like I need to air out my mind. And it's really beautiful weather here. We're having a great Indian summer. Um, you're, so I, the next, I, I now have a post that is from Trump's speech last night and then from Biden's speech last night. So I'm covering both of the statements that the candidates made. Biden went first, but I, um, I blogged Trump's first. So I, I linked to the transcript. And we're getting we and we were getting ready for a big celebration. We were winning everything, and all of a sudden, it was just called off said Trump last night at the latest news conference he ever had. Yes, the news channels were what we were watching seemed to just stop calling states, ensuring that Trump's electoral college number stayed below Biden's. I took the opportunity to get some sleep because I felt like the news had been turned off and got exasperated staring at nothing happening. How many times did John King touch and retouch how many times did John King touch and retouch Pennsylvania on his electronic map? It was surreal. You could go to sleep for a few hours, wake up, go to CNN again, and there he'd be, futzing with the map, trying to show what could happen. Quoting from Trump's speech now, uh, the results tonight have been phenomenal, and we are getting ready. I mean, Literally, we were just all set to go outside and just celebrate something that was so beautiful, so good. <laughs> he wanted to go out and party, but the media didn't give him the go-ahead. They withheld it. No, you will not be allowed to go out and celebrate. You can't celebrate. There's no celebrating. Quote, we won the great state of Ohio. We won Texas. We won Texas. We won Texas. We won Texas by 700,000 votes and they don't even include it in the tabulations. It's also clear that we have won Georgia. They can't catch us. Likewise, we've clearly won North Carolina. They can't catch us. We're up 690,000 votes in Pennsylvania, 690,000. These aren't even close. This is not like, oh, it's close. With 64% of the vote in, it's gonna be almost impossible to catch. And I said, almost impossible. He's not lying and saying his victory is certain. He's giving a dramatic speech that makes you feel that a great victory has been won, but he still acknowledges that the outcome could change. Quote, we're winning Michigan. I said, wow. I looked and I said, wow, that's a lot. And we're winning Wisconsin. And I said, well, I don't need all of them. We need, and we had such a big night. And all of a sudden I said, what happened to the election? It's off. And we have all these announcers saying, what happened? And then they said, oh, because you know what happened? They knew they couldn't win. So they said, let's go to court. And did I predict this, Newt? Did I say this? I've been saying this from the day I heard that they were going to send out tens of millions of ballots. They said exactly 
because either they were going to win or if they didn't win, they'd take us to court. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We're getting ready. We were getting ready to win this election, close quote. So far, so good. And then he springs for a big rhetorical move. And he'll be criticized or called a genius forever. Frankly, quote, frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud on our nation, close quote. And I said, many people will say that's where he went too far. He's fighting the battle. He could have said he intended to make sure there's no fraud in counting the remaining ballots, the hundreds of thousands of legitimate mailed-in ballots, but he's declared that there is a major fraud. Depends on what the meaning of is is. It might be sloppy language spoken spontaneously and a bit off. You can't really tell what this refers to in this is a major fraud. He might simply have meant that anything other than counting the genuinely legal ballots would be a major fraud, which is obviously absolutely true. He gets himself back on track and aligns himself with sober procedure and submission to the law. Quote, we want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop, close quote. And I said, although all voting must stop, everyone agrees with that. It's not the voting stopping that anybody disagrees about. They disagree about how much to count the stuff that's come in, the votes, the purported votes that have come out in, which ones are valid. Do they have the right postmark? How long can you count them? The fear is that fake voting, illegal voting, will be manufactured. Votes will be just found now that they know what they need to close the various gaps. Can they find them? What have they got to lose? What, what will stop them? It's, it's really actually hard to believe that low-level people won't try to do things. I mean, is everybody under control? Quote, we don't want them to find any ballots at four o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, close quote. He's saying no cheating. Don't make new ballots. Just count the ballots that are legal. Quote, okay, it's a very sad moment. To me, this is a very sad moment, and we will win this. And as far as I'm concerned, we already have won it. And I said he was trying to create an atmosphere in which it will feel that when the Democrats fight for their side, they will seem to be overreaching, looking for ways to cheat. I think the Democrats would deploy the same rhetoric if the tables were turned. And it's only rational strategy for Biden supporters to express outrage at Trump's premature, premature assertion of victory and is calling the counting of legal ballots a fraud. This is the fight we are in the middle of now, and I'm going to stand back and watch what happens without getting suckered into this emotionalism. So both the, the Democrats and the Republicans are creating a, an emotional arena that they're trying to keep us in if we keep looking at Twitter or keep watching the television. Uh, there's a narrative that we're swept up in that we're drawn to one way or the other. And then I, I remember vividly in 2000 when this happened that the um, 
people who were for Gore kept saying, count all the votes. And the Republicans don't want to count the votes. You've got to count the votes. This is democracy. And then the Republican side were saying the votes have been counted. The, we need to preserve the proper count of the vote and don't let them try to add to the count. Don't let them try to find the votes that they now know they need to win. It's the only way they can win. And so people on both sides felt very emotionally attached to the argument that worked for their candidate. And we're going to get pulled into that again. So I'm just trying to invite people to step back and don't get drawn into that. But I did think that Trump's speech, I think it went on for about 10 minutes or so, it was much longer than Biden's speech, that Trump's speech was really a sort of a brilliant narrator of emotion and political theater. You know, this idea, we had won, we were ready to come out and celebrate, and then they took, they took our victory away. They changed what was a happy celebratory occasion into something sad, and we really did win, we really did win but they took our win away. You know, now if, if in the end of all of this, it turns out that he lost, he's gonna go away saying, we really did win and they, def they, they took away. They, they, tried, they, they attempted a coup the first time around. They, they hounded me through the entire first term and now I won again. It was a fabulous victory. And then they got together and they took it away. They finally were able to do their dirty work and they took it away and they changed history and they ruined the, you know, that, that uh, emotional storm is out there brewing. And uh, he wants you to feel that you need to be for him to win. Otherwise, there's this sad, sad stealing of a victory that will have taken place. Not saying that's true. I think the votes aren't completely counted, but I just want an accurate legal count of the vote. You know, if you, this idea of counting every vote, you have to count the actual votes. If you count bad votes, if you count illegal votes, if you count fake votes, every time you count a vote for a candidate, you're canceling out somebody else's vote. So it, I didn't vote, but uh, for example, my husband went down and voted here in Wisconsin. He voted the way he voted. If there's a vote counted for a fake, if there's a fake vote, an in, inappropriate uh, illegal vote that gets counted for the other candidate, then his vote is canceled out. It's not more democracy, it's the cancellation of valid votes with invalid votes. The idea that the more votes you count, the more democracy you have. That's obviously not true. Every bad vote cancels out a good vote. Just, let's just count more votes. The more, the merrier. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. That's not the way it works. I didn't vote, so I refrained from canceling out anybody's vote. So I get the, uh, I did exercise some power by not voting. I allowed somebody else's vote not to be canceled. Now Biden's speech, which came before Trump's, was super short, and he, uh, he's the part of the quote that I put in the post title is your patience is commendable. We knew this was going to go long, but who knew we're going to go into maybe tomorrow morning, maybe even longer. But look, we feel good about where we are. He offers a basis of optimism to his supporters. Quote, I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, it was going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient until the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. 
And it ain't over until every vote is counted. Every ballot is counted. But we're feeling good. We're feeling good about where we are, close quote. And I said, it's true that all the legally cast ballots need to be counted, but I can't believe they were feeling good. Not unless they knew all along that the polls were wrong. Right? They got a real slap in the face by what happened compared to what had been predicted was going to happen. So did they believe those polls? We were asked to believe those polls. And look how badly it came out for them last night. Oh, it was going to be a big landslide, and they were going to win the Senate and so forth. So um, did they know that that was all fake, fake polling news? Otherwise, how could they feel good seeing what they had seen at that point in the proceedings? Quote, as I've said all along, it's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare who's won this election. That's the decision of the American people. But I'm optimistic about this outcome. Keep the faith, faith guys. We're going to win this. Your patience is great, close quote. And I said, does he really believe it's not his place or Donald Trump's place to declare who's won this election? Just yesterday, I read in Axios, quote, if news organizations declare Joe Biden the mathematical president-elect, he plans to address the nation as its new leader, even if President Trump continues to fight in court, close quote. That's not leaving it to the American people, but to the news organizations who've been bending over backwards to help Biden. Unlike Trump, Biden doesn't need to declare his own victory. The elite media will declare it for him if they can but Biden wasn't planning to wait until the entire process of ballot counting ended. He was planning to seize strategic advantage in the ballot counting battle and address the nation as its new leader. And that's more than Trump has done. Trump is just saying he thinks he won uh, and telling you the numbers and saying it's going to be almost impossible to catch him, not completely impossible. What Biden was planning to do is if the media had been able to decide he was the mathematical president-elect, which they would have said if they could have, because they were leaning toward him all along, that if that happened, if he got the go-ahead from the media that has been supporting him all along, that he was going to come out and act like he was the new leader. He was going to act like he had won and say he was the president-elect and start you know, announcing who was going to be in the cabinet and so on. I remember when George W. Bush did that back in 2000, before all the fighting in court was over. He started planning and saying who was going to be in the cabinet, and it was very upsetting to uh, Democrats for him to do that. So I understand Biden saying, let's, let's play the game like George Bush did. It might enhance your chances of winning to just start acting presidential in the public arena, and that'll help people accept that you have won. And maybe it will even uh, sway the court in the end if it's to be decided by the court. Or Congress in the end if it's to be decided, as it always ultimately is, by Congress. So I decided I wasn't going to spend a lot of my time staring at these news stories. and certainly not watching TV. I didn't want my mind bent by all of that. I'm preserving my mind. So I was listening to The Daily Stoic, an audiobook that I have, and I quoted to you a um, quote from Marcus Aurelius that's in, in the audiobook I was listening to. Don't set, quote, don't set your mind on things you don't possess as if they were yours, but count the blessings you actually possess and think how much you would desire them if they weren't already yours. But watch yourself that you don't value these things to the point of being troubled if you should lose them. Close quote. 
I thought that was pretty good. Count your blessings, right? If you count your blessings, then one way of, you don't just count them, but you think about them as being, well, what if you didn't have these things? So for example, your good health, if you have it, or your loved ones, if they're alive, um, or your memories of your loved ones, if they're gone, whatever you have, whatever you have, a warm place to sleep, whatever you have. Do you need power over other people? Whatever you have, think about how much you would desire them if they weren't already yours. I mean, don't take them for granted just because you have them. Imagine losing them and how much you would desire them if they weren't already yours. So instead of thinking about the things that are not yours and how much you desire them, think about the things that are yours and how much you would desire them if they weren't already yours. And then watch yourself. Don't get so into thinking about how much you desire the things that you actually have that you're creating a situation where you would be troubled if you should lose them. So love what you have while you have it. Value it in the sense that if it were gone, it, you would miss it so much. So miss it and you know, do that extrapolation of what missing it would be while you have it. Love it. Love it while you have it, but don't love it so much that you're vulnerable to being troubled if you should lose it. So be able to lose it as well. Maybe that's a little helpful when you think about winning the presidency of the United States, or you think about your favorite candidate winning the presidency, or your democracy. We have democracy. We possess it. Uh, think how much you would desire it if you didn't have it. Think of these people in these countries that don't have democracy and how much they desire it. We have it, we have it. And so we, we should think of it from the point of view of people who don't have it, but would love to have it. But then don't get so uh, clingy toward it. Don't get so emotionally invested in it that if you didn't have it, you would do poorly. What if you were one of the people who lived in one of those countries that didn't have democracy? How would you do? Would you do all right? I think about that a lot. Well, what if, what if I lived in uh, Iran? What if I were an Iranian person living under that system, how would that be, right? Well, if that, then, I, then that would be the, a thing that I didn't possess, that I shouldn't set my mind on, and I would count the blessing that I did have, that I lived in the beautiful country of Iran, that I had whatever I had, and how much I would desire whatever that was if, it, uh, if, if I didn't have it, but I would have it. And even that, I shouldn't value so much that I would be troubled if I lost that. So those are some things to think about. And I was in that frame of mind. I wanted to think on a higher level of human feeling. I wanted to have, have that. And that is talk about things you actually possess. I possess a mind able to think of such thoughts. I possess an iPhone that contains audiobooks. And I was able to take a walk in my beautiful city of Madison, Wisconsin. It's a 60 degree day, a very nice, uh, beautiful day. I listened to this uh, book, The Daily Stoic, as an audiobook while I took a walk down by the lake, 60 degrees, got away from the range of all TVs and computers, except to the extent that my iPhone itself was a computer. But I had that uh, set for my audiobook. And I said, we're having a frabjous Indian summer right here now in Wisconsin, USA. 
I said Frabjus in reference to the other day. I don't know if you were listening to the podcast, but I did read a large part of the poem Jabberwocky, which has the word Frabjus in it. I was wondering if uh, after the election I would be saying, do you remember this? I think it was two podcasts ago. I was saying maybe after the election I would be saying, oh, Frabjus Day, Kalu Calais. Am I saying that? <laughs> My, well, why not feel good about what, what we do possess? We've gotten through election day. People have voted. I haven't heard too much about rioting. Um, we're in the process of counting the votes. Many of us have our wits about us to some extent. So, uh, oh, for, it, it is a frabjous day. And we can say Kalu Kale. It's Indian summer in Wisconsin, USA. I went out and uh, did my walk. I did a uh, 3.4 mile walk in 60 degree weather down by the lake and over to State Street. I I have the next post, I'm back from my stoical walk. 3.4 miles, 60 degrees, down by the lake and over to State Street. And I have a couple of pictures that I'm gonna tell you about, but first let me tell you about the picture that I put up in the previous post, the one with the Marcus Aurelius quote. And that was a, actually a photograph I took a couple of days ago when we went on a really long walk uh, where the sun was coming down and the light through the oak tree next to the Unitarian Church was really quite beautiful. And I tried to catch the sort of angle of the light on the green grass and coming through the orange-brown leaves of the oak next to the angular church, which is a great a great work of American architecture, Frank Lloyd Wright. It's as beautiful as these things get. There must be thousands of churches that attempt to get something of the look that Frank Lloyd Wright came up with for this church. But this is the thing. This is the church. I don't know how you feel about uh, Unitarians. I haven't thought that much about Unitarianism. Would you, why be a Unitarian if you don't have to go to church at all? Everybody else is going to church, so you want to go to church, so go to Unitarian church. Is that what they're doing? Is it more of a social thing? I don't know. But the building's great. If you live in Madison, Wisconsin, why not be a Unitarian? You could go to this fantastic church. It's just, it's actually uh, within easy walking distance of where I live. Uh, And, uh, well, maybe you think uh, you don't even need to be a member of the church, Uh, you don't have to set your mind on something you don't possess. You don't possess membership in the Unitarian Church. Count the blessings you actually possess. I possess that I am within walking distance of this f- fabulous architectural work, this beauty, and, and that I live around oak trees, big old oak trees, and that in the autumn, the light comes through the leaves, and what might look brown looks orange and the grass is still green, and the angles of the church from the outside are are quite beautiful. Um, That's what I possess. And if I didn't possess it, if I weren't here in Madison, would I be troubled to lose Madison? Well, I would be somewhere else, and I would possess whatever that was. And I would think about that according to the formula that Marcus Aurelius put out in that quote, which is, I would think about how whatever that was, how I would feel about whatever that was if I were to lose it. But I don't, I don't even know what that other thing would be because I live in Madison now. I sometimes think, oh, I got to get out of here. It's going to go downhill or whatever. Um, but you got to go somewhere. Where would I go? How could I be somewhere else? 
Well, don't be so in love with what you have that you'd be troubled to lose it. So value what you have, but don't value it to the point of creating trouble for yourself in the losing of it. There's always something that you have that you can value according to this formula. So uh, the next post says, I'm back from my stoical walk over to State Street, and I have two pictures that I took uh, down, down on State Street. And the first one, and, and they both show boarded up windows, unfortunately. The first one shows, um, well, there are a lot of things here. I cannot, showing a man, a black man with his hands up, and a heart, peace sign with a heart shape, and a red fist, and fuck 12 with a peace sign, fuck 12 with a peace sign, great. But I took, stopped and took the picture because underneath that peace sign, um, it said, someone had written Marxists right on the board. So they say, write this on the boarded up window. Marxists are trying to make State Street a boarded up, unsafe dystopia. So I guess, are they, I, I, I thought maybe, is that hypocritical to be writing graffiti yourself? Um, but I guess they're disparaging the boarding up by saying these boards are bad. These boards mean State Street is unsafe. Madison is an unsafe dystopia. That's the message of the boards on the window. So why not make it explicit by writing that graffiti? And of course, the boarding up, the threat of uh, breakage and vandalism and theft is uh, attributed to Marxists. Is it Marxists? They're saying Marxists. Marxists are trying to make State Street a boarded up unsafe dystopia. And then the second picture shows the store that's called Sunshine Daydream. I don't know. That's a um, Grateful Dead song, and I add the um, lyric from that song, walking in the tall trees, going where the wind goes, blooming like a red rose. Sunshine Daydream, great name for a store, and they sell lots of tie-dye and various things. Nice, uh, nice shop to have on State Street, although I must say they're Awning is awfully grimy. They ought to wash that off a little, but they're all boarded up, of course. And um, it says uh, it says 420 on the door, even though the street number is 619. So that's that marijuana 420 number. And there's a big uh, peace sign written in black. And underneath that, it says, spread love, not hate. That's pretty sad. I like Sunshine Daydream as a name for the song because it not only references the Grateful Dead song, but it also makes me think of two other hippie songs. One is uh, Sunshine Superman by Donovan, great song, and the other is uh, Daydream by the Love and Spoonful. What a day for a daydream. What a day for a daydreaming boy. Okay. Uh, that makes me feel wistful about hippies and peace and love and all of that, but those boards, spread love, not hate, the boards express, they cannot express love. The boards do not express love. They express fear of hate. And in the hippie era, there was an idea that love was the antidote to hate, you know, that you could put flowers into the barrels of the gun, the classic uh, picture of somebody putting a flower into the barrel of a gun that's pointed their way. 
You've seen that picture. I can't show it to you because this is a mere podcast. There's no visuals, but uh, there was an idea back in the Vietnam War era that you could just answer with love. And uh, that was consistent also with the civil rights era where there was uh, nonviolence, really stark nonviolence. But these days, we have violence and destruction. And um, how, do you, how do you encounter that with love? I mean, it's just hate. And to say, don't be hateful, switch to love. But what if they don't? What do you do? Do you board up your windows? Do you defend yourself or just allow yourself to be broken and robbed and uh, mistreated and not defend yourself? Who would do that? Well, um, the only reason to do that is if you think you're making some kind of statement by sacrificing yourself. That's, uh, I don't see anyone wanting to do that, really. Occasionally you get that. I can remember from the Vietnam War era, there were people who um, did self-immolation to express their opposition to the war. But uh, I'm not seeing that with these current uh, violent people. They're taking other people's property. They're damaging other people's property. They're basically just hurting fellow citizens who are not the cause of any of their problems. They're, they're fellow citizens who have tried to get somewhat ahead and then to have all of this taken away. But what is what are the operators of Sunshine Daydream supposed to do? They have to kind of act like they're on the side of these uh, lovely people who are causing so much damage. Anyway, I didn't see any sign that there was any damage from whatever people were seeing in the news of the election. I guess people don't really know what the news is. What, what happened? At one point this morning, I Googled, who won? Uh, reminds me of the uh, this song, uh, Wooden Ships. You know what I'm talking about? I just Googled who won. Like, this is the stupid person's, um, this is the, this is the stupid person's question, or, or uh, will Google just know what I'm talking about? But uh, it makes me think of, it makes me think of the song uh, Wooden Ships, which is a great hippie song. I can see by your coat, my friend, you're from the other side. There's just one thing I got to know. Can you tell me, please, who won? So sometimes you have battles of such a kind that the people who are left are just like asking a wistful, surreal question. Who won? Who won? I was saying, in, I think I said in the podcast yesterday, we all lost. America lost. You know, you can do that kind of rhetoric. But uh, maybe we could all win. Why not try to make it work such that we all win? At one point today, I was thinking, well, I like that all of the participants in the fight have been humbled. They've all been brought down. They all need to become more realistic. Maybe we could work together. Uh, but right now, it's not surprising nobody wants to work with anyone else. They have to fight to win. Nobody's going to concede. There will be no concessions. Neither side ever gave any indication that they would concede if there was any path to victory. And it's going to take a while before either side is going to see itself as deprived of any path to victory. They're going to just keep fighting. They're going to try to get what they want. Now, there's a headline in the New York Times, the remaining vote in Pennsylvania appears to be overwhelmingly for Biden. The president's lead, the president leads by nearly 700,000 votes, 
but there are 1.4 million absentee votes outstanding. I got very involved in the math of this question, you know. I was saying yesterday, the old uh, um, Chevy Chase as Gerald Ford Saturday Night Live sketch where he said, I was told there would be no math. This is the difficult math. We have Trump ahead by 700,000 votes, and then we have a pile of 1.4 million votes that still need to be counted. So what percent of the 1.4 million absentee votes need to be for Biden in order for Biden to win Pennsylvania? That's like a difficult word problem. I'm, I, uh, I worked that out on paper, and, I, and also the New York Times worked it out a little too. So here's what the New York Times wrote. So far, Mr. Biden has won absentee voters in Pennsylvania, 78% to 21%. The results comport with the findings of pre-election surveys and an analysis of absentee ballot requests, which all indicated that Mr. Biden held an overwhelming lead among absentee voters. If Mr. Biden won more than uh, one, if Mr. Biden won the more than 1.4 million absentee votes by such a large margin, he would net around 800,000 votes, enough to overcome his statewide deficit. In other words, he would get an extra 800,000 votes, and that would overcome the 700,000 deficit that he currently has. Okay, he needs, if he gets 78% of the outstanding 1.4 million votes, then he'll get 8,000, which is 100,000 more than 700,000, and then he'll win Pennsylvania, right? But that requires 78% of the votes. Biden, and if 78% of the, uh, but, you know, you keep doing the math. If the Biden percentage is 75%, it's dead even with those, you know, the, those are big round numbers, so I'm sure there's some additional numbers. But basically, you take uh, 75% of um, the 1.4 million and you only get 700,000 votes and then more than Trump. And so then now they're dead even. And if Biden falls below 75% of those 1.4 million, then Trump wins. So he's got to win those ballots by an awful lot for that to work for him. And I've got just one more post titled An Obvious Point. And I just embedded a, a tweet from Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. She says, Obvious point here, but media quickly calling states in Biden's favor when they're actually close and slow walking the announcements of Trump's clear victories is not a good look for being trusted or fighting a narrative of an election being stolen from the voters. And so, close quote, so this is just the point that the media squandered their credibility. No one's going to believe what they said because they made such a show in that slow walking they've, and everything they've been doing for so long. They've made such a show of bias in favor of Biden that we just have every reason to think that whatever they say will be what works best for helping Biden. So, you know, I just, I just have to screen it out and put it through my filter, put it, put it through my translator. They're, they're trying to uh, scam their way if they need to to get to a Biden victory and to get Trump out of there. It's just not fair to Trump. You know, I don't, I, I've said I like Trump personally. I didn't vote for him to win. 
I'm not really rooting for him to win. I don't like Biden either, of course, but I just feel that the deceptiveness that has been so disrespectfully uh, shown toward us is, is so wrong. It's, um, it, it's so untrustworthy. And I just want to see that turned around, or I just feel a need to resist that, even if, uh, even if it's not helpful. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of what Marcus Aurelius would say about uh, that. What uh, you have an, a lion media? You have well, be glad you got the, as much media as you do have. Imagine living in one of these places where the media wasn't even this good, and uh, think how you'd feel if you didn't have this level of media, if you didn't have something as good as the, the New York Times, as good as CNN. This is a lot, because imagine if it were gone, and yet don't become so attached even to this that you'd be troubled if this too were taken away.